First Peter 3, beginning in verse 8, and I'll read through verse 14. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. The words of God fill the pages of this book are able to convey so many different and varied messages of truth, speaking singularly about every matter and circumstance that could ever come to mankind throughout all of time and eternity. God is that wise, and God is that comprehensive in His truths within these scriptures. Now, some Bible scholars will strongly emphasize the author here, the Apostle Peter, and attribute much of what he says and how he says it to the personality and to the writing style of that person. But may I remind us again and again that in this case, Peter did not actually write these words. And neither did the Apostle Paul write the words that are attributed to him. And neither did any of the other named writers of the Scripture. Yes, these words came through the minds and the experiences of each of these writers. And they penned them for us. But the words themselves actually came first from the Holy Spirit. Always first from the Holy Spirit. And those words then continued through the minds of the writers onto us in these scriptures without any change or error. Simply put, the Holy Spirit uttered every word and meaning behind every word into and through the mind and soul and spirit of these writers. And for that reason, every word and every meaning is the very breath of God and is absolutely infallible and trustworthy. And here, through the hand of Peter, God has given us some special counsel concerning the matter of suffering. And in particular, how we as believers, how we as saints, are to respond to the suffering that comes to us. Over and over again, throughout these books of First and Second Peter, the Holy Spirit gives both warnings and assurances regarding the matters that have to do with suffering and the response that we are to have to it. And the warning is for us to not be surprised when it comes to us. But instead, expect it. Expect suffering and be prepared to give a godly response to it. May I take a moment here to remind us that suffering, though it most always is painful, is not to be counted 
as always being bad or wrong. Something that we are to make every effort to avoid at all costs. Because if we take that stand, that attitude, then we will surely miss out on all the many benefits and blessings that sufferings can also provide to us. Now I do understand that most people who would hear what I just said about suffering, that sufferings can have blessings and benefits interwoven within them, they'll think that surely I must have something wrong with my thinking. But that's not so. Not so at all. And it's written to us all through these scriptures. Romans 5. Suffering brings on perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. But at the foundation of that growth is suffering. Yes, for the people who do not have the Holy Spirit residing within them to guide their thinking and their attitudes, they will most always see suffering of any kind, whether it be physical or emotional or spiritual, as being negative and wrong. Something to be avoided at all costs. Quickly seeking help. Quickly taking a pill. Quickly defending themselves and their positions when accused or attacked for something they have said or done. Desiring always to be quickly and immediately relieved or vindicated. Or whatever other remedy will take away their suffering. But may I encourage you and me and all those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ. All those whom these scriptures call saints that suffering really can and does very often provide great benefits and blessings. And not just to the one who is suffering, but also especially for others on whose behalf you or someone else might be suffering. We see no greater evidence of that than when Christ suffered and died on our behalf, paying the penalty and suffering the death that we ourselves deserved and should rightfully have suffered. To put it simply, yes, suffering so often really does often have its origins in sin, sinful behavior, sinful conduct. And so, yes, much of the suffering that we will endure, we'll be able to look back and see the sin either in our, on our part or on the part of someone else. But suffering... Suffering in the hands of an enemy, yes, the world, the flesh, and the devil. It can be so miserable, even catastrophic, and can seem to be useless, having no gain or purpose. But when God puts His hand into that circumstance, then suffering can then be turned into the loving embrace of God. Great benefits and blessings. Painful, yes, You'll recall the time that Jesus said to the Apostle Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. And I'm reminded that Jesus did not reach and say, Peter, I've kept you from suffering. He said, no, but I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. When God puts His providential hand into that suffering that's being brought to us, by the world of flesh and the devil or by our own misdeeds or by circumstances that we don't have any idea about. 
But they're taking place anyway. Yes, there's going to be suffering. But when God puts His hand in, He is putting His hand in there to bless and to benefit us. He is good and He doeth good. And you and I have to somehow be able to see that perspective in our sufferings. Favorite verse that I reach for in times of suffering is Colossians 1.24, which tells us that I fill up behind that which is still lacking in the sufferings of Christ. In other words, yes, while Christ was with us here on the earth, He suffered greatly to bring us our salvation. But He also left many other things for you and me to do. And as these words clearly tell us, some of those things, perhaps most of them, will involve suffering. And you and I need specifically and, and intentionally not to try to avoid that suffering. But instead, we need to reach on out forward and willingly embrace it. And yes, that's difficult. Yes, that's difficult. But that's why I've entitled this message, Suffer as a Saint. Because as believers, as saints, you and I, your and my responses to the sufferings that come our way, they should be and they must be so very different from the responses and the behaviors that the unbelieving world experiences. Over the past few weeks, I've had reason to revisit the scriptures that tell us about the suffering of the old servant Job. Job was a man whom God described as being blameless and upright. In today's language, we would say he's just one of the finest Christian men we could ever imagine. But yet it was God's will that Job would suffer, that he would endure misery that few men could ever have borne and lived through. Suffering all kinds and all measures of suffering, physical, emotional, and spiritual. At one point in time, Job bemoaned that life is but a few days and full of troubles. And certainly from his perspective, that was so. And we too can agree with some of our days being perhaps worse than others, but most all of our days having some measure of trouble within it. As for Job, Job remained faithful to God and he resolutely declared that though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And you and I must do the same. Here in these books of First and Second Peter, the suffering seems also to point to every kind and measure of suffering, physical and emotional and, and spiritual suffering. And while most of us contend most often with physical sufferings, injuries and diseases and cancer and more, the suffering that seems to be focused on in these particular scriptures are more of the spiritual and the emotional kinds of suffering. And that's where I'm going to spend, Lord willing, the rest, the few minutes that remain of this message today. I want us to look at the sufferings that we can go through of a spiritual and emotional nature. Let me read again, beginning in verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless... For to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. 
For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now on the surface, these words might seem to be just words of encouragement intended to guide us to always do good things and have good responses. But not so. Not so. They are that, yes, they are. But God is also giving us these words because we are already saying and doing the wrong things that these words warn about. It's part of our daily life, our daily behavior of personally witnessed events of suffering having to do with these exact conditions. A Christian couple, each of them strong believers in Christ, but having deep and and difficult problems in their marriage, and each clearly violating most all that is being spoken about in these words. Instead of being filled with unity of mind and sympathy towards one another, brotherly kindness towards one another, tender hearts towards one another, humble minds towards one another. They are instead caught up in pain and suffering that each is inflicting upon the other. Though they should be one in their marriage, there is no unity. There is no unity in their spirit or their heart. Each feeling so sorry for themselves that they have little room left for sympathy towards the other one. No brotherly kindness. No tenderness of heart, and especially no humility. Each quickly responding back to the other, returning evil for evil, as these words tell us here, reviling for reviling. Neither receiving blessings from God, because neither is being obedient to Him. Both of these dear souls are speaking deceit and half-truths. We do that, you know. We slant every statement to our own defense. And that's what they're doing. Both of them crying, 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 suffering, suffering, suffering. Wanting desperately for the other one to change. But not willing themselves to change. Or willing even to acknowledge that they themselves are in need of change. And again, may I emphasize that these are two of the stronger believing Christians that you could want to know. Wonderful folks. But they suffer and suffer and suffer, hurting so much that they are blinded to their own sinful responses and behaviors and can't see a clear way out of their dilemma. Now at the same time, while I'm involved with this dear couple, I'm also involved with another suffering family, one in which the husband battles with severe depression struggling daily just to keep his head above water emotionally, daily crying out to God for relief, but finding very little. So self-absorbed with his own suffering, which is a part of being depressed, though he can clearly see that his behavior is utterly decimating his family, his wife, his children, he cannot see an acceptable way out of his dilemma. And my counseling with that couple who are suffering through their marriage difficulties, neither of them can see how such simple instructions as these given here in this text can fix their marriage. That they could have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly kindness, tender hearts, humble minds, not repaying evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but blessing, that they may obtain a blessing 
Notice those words, that contrast. They want a blessing, but they were, cannot see a way to bless the other one. This dear couple, especially the wife, keeps expressing to me that it just isn't as simple as these words seem to say it. But folks, listen. This is God saying these things. And He is saying that it really is this simple. And it really is this easy. Here God is saying in the simplest of terms, stop being self-centered. Be willing to give of yourself, to die to self, to be one, to have unity. Instead of despising the other one, have sympathy, brotherly kindness, a tender heart. He's saying humble your heart and mind and esteem that other one better than yourself. Be obedient and stop returning evil for evil. Stop reviling for reviling. Just Die to self and stop arguing. But this dear couple, much of the problem lies in the refusal to forgive past sins, some of which took place so many, many years ago. They seem to believe that their bitter words will somehow cut deep enough to change that other person. That if they stop their tirade for even just a moment and be nice, the other one will then never change. And so they have to keep it going. They're not able to hear the voice of God saying, I'm not asking you to change that other person. I am asking you to change yourself. God is saying to them, have unity. Change what's taking place in your own heart. Have unity. Be one with each other. Be sympathetic towards the other one. Have a tender, loving heart towards the other one. And to the depressed one, God is saying, Stop centering your thoughts on yourself. Think first of others, especially your beloved family members. Put their needs ahead of yours, to which the depressed one seems always to respond. Can't you see that I want to do that? But I just can't. No matter how hard I try, I just can't. Folks, I confess that I really don't know how to help any of these folks except to tell them what God is saying to them. As here in these words, if they'll just do these very simple things, these very simple things, then they will stop suffering and they'll begin to prosper in all that they want to do. Their life will become so sweet and precious And they will then make the other person's lives sweet and precious. And may I again emphasize that these words from God, they are tender words from a loving father given to his beloved children. And those are his beloved children, both the couple and and the family with the man who's depressed. Listen. They need to understand, and you and I need to understand, as we go out of here today and and troubles come our way, as God's children, we really are different. You are different. You should no longer live and behave as those in the world who have no hope. You and I have every reason to succeed. Those families have every reason to succeed and no reason at all to fail. 
May I add one more thought before we close? Because God is our loving Father, He will not give up on us. As a loving Father, He will pour forth whatever it takes to change us and to bring us back to where we need to be. He tells us about that in Hebrews 12. Let me read that for you. Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 5, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the ones He loves, and chastises every son whom He receives. And in verse 11 of Hebrews 12, He says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God takes the difficulties that come from sins or past sins and this anger and frustration that goes on between people. And if we will allow Him to put His loving hand into all of those struggles, we'll see then the loving discipline of the Lord reproving us. And if we'll do that, then after all is said and done with all of that suffering... This is what we'll have. Later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. All we have to do is surrender to God's loving hand and all of this misery and things turn out the way it should. God's words, His instructions and His guidance have a very special power within them, folks. The power of the Holy Spirit. And in those times when you are struggling and suffering and you think that such simple answers as these would never work for you, let me assure you that they will. They absolutely will. And your life and your circumstances will change dramatically for the good with each and every obedient effort. God guarantees it. Let me close. So all of you then, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly kindness, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you recall that you yourself may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Let's pray.